I'm Alex Melleris. And I'm Tai Seifu. And we're recording a uh, day late, but that's okay. Whatever. Who cares? So what? And we're going to start with the biggest news from the past week, which is that Carey Price is taking a leave of absence from the Montreal Canadiens. He, I believe the wording was he voluntarily uh, joined the NHLPA player assistance program and he will not be playing for at least 30 days. Uh, one thing that I kind of, that caught my attention about it was that Mark Bergevin, when he was talking about it, said that he didn't even know it was going to happen until the day before. So obviously, you know, we hope everything's going going well with Price or at least is going to be going a lot better after this. And uh, yeah, I think I even saw, might have been in the Gazette that he was thinking about doing this at times during last season. So this is something, whatever the specificities of the issue is it's been going on for for a little while oh i hadn't seen that um so yeah clearly this is something he's been mulling for a while and uh yeah good for him for taking that that's a that's a big step um to go out and say uh i'm gonna i'm gonna take a long leave of absence like that and uh, yeah good for him for putting his uh you know i'm assuming his mental health first uh and uh yeah it's really like you know there's been a lot said about uh the impact of such a move uh in terms of you know the public perception of uh you know, it's it's good to, you know, have these public figures, these role models kind of put these, um, you know, men, their mental health first uh, and in a public fashion in a way that hasn't really been done uh, in the past in, in the public eye, especially among hockey players where, you know, we've there has been a long history of stigma uh, with mental with, with mental health, mental illness and all that. So, uh, yeah, good, good, good for Carey Price in that respect. And, uh, you know, wish him all the best and uh, hopefully he can uh, come back stronger than ever after. Uh, yeah, he works on this. I feel like if this type of thing had happened in in the past year, uh, you know, we probably would have seen the type of thing that we had gotten kind of used to seeing, which is, you know, clown takes emerging like, oh, so selfish or whatever. And remember when Tuka Rask left the bubble? This was only like uh, a little over a year ago uh, when he left the bubble with the Bruins to go be with his daughter. There are people who are like, oh, he's given up on his team. Those clown takes. And we're seeing less and less of that either because people are learning or just because they're not being amplified. So I want to shout out that positive change. And it feels like, you know, um, seeing more and more players do this type of thing lately has actually had the positive impact that we talked about hoping that it would have and that it's becoming more and more mainstream and more and more accepted. Yeah, absolutely. Even uh, even just on the, the Habs team with the last year, right, with Jonathan Drouin taking uh, most of last year off. Uh, and then we see on it with his, you know, he's coming back on the ice this season. Uh, and, you know, the, the the reception has been very, very welcoming, at least from what I've seen. And uh, he seems he seems to be, you know, very comfortable with it. Uh, the fans seem to be, you know, very much behind him and not holding any sort of resentment as they shouldn't be. Uh, and, uh, yeah, that's it's it, it does seem to be a step in the right direction in terms of, uh, you know, recognizing that these people are are people as well. And that, you know, especially in like, you know, we're talking about Montreal or just professional hockey as a whole. It's a very, uh, you know, high pressure, high pressure uh, lifestyle, uh, high pressure job, always under the public scrutiny, especially Montreal. So, uh, you know, absolutely step in the right direction. It is encouraging that, uh, you know, no, not as not nearly as many clown takes. And honestly, I hadn't I hadn't heard any anyone. Maybe just my Twitter timelines, not that bad. Uh, but uh, I hadn't seen anyone kind of bash Carey Price uh, or really Jonathan Drouin recently at all um, for, you know, taking a step back uh, and, uh, you know, doing what's right for them. And for the yeah. team, honestly. Um, yeah, uh, it's great for for him in the in the long run. Let's pivot to 
the fact that the season starts tomorrow. Um, this is probably the shortest off season of all time. Uh, it went by so fast, and probably the fact that we were more invested in the Stanley Cup final than usual had something to do with it. Um, but there have been, of course, you know, like waiver action today. We'll talk about that later. But first, I think we should start with some of the contract extensions that were signed this week, starting with New York Rangers top line center Mika Zibanejad signed an eight year extension. Eight and a half million dollars a year that brings him until he is 37 years old, which would appear to imply that the New York Rangers are more than happy to have him be their top line center forever and ever. Yeah, so this is an interesting contract because, first of all, he was UFA upcoming after the season, right? Uh, and, uh, you know, the, the Rangers couldn't possibly let him leave, especially with this, you know, window of contention that they've kind of deluded themselves into believing that they're in uh, with, you know, Barkley Goodrow and Ryan Reeves uh, spearheading the effort. Uh, and, uh, you know, the, the, this is indispensable, especially after you give away first another first liner for free in Bishnevich. Uh You couldn't possibly let this guy walk. And so the extension wasn't coming. I think Zibanejad absolutely had the leverage to, uh, you know, ask for eight years and get it. Um, and, you know, currently as it stands, I think the contract is pretty fair value for me because of Manajad for what he brings. Obviously, last year, he started off slow, but, you know, he finished at a torrent pace, as my fantasy team would know. Uh, and, you know, he started off the season with COVID last year. So, uh, you know, you can't, it's all, it's all like, you know, who the fuck knows what's what. What it really is, Mika Zibanejad, and if you look at the season prior, he, he you know he was a bona fide superstar then too. So you know I, I'm leaning towards this guy is you know well worth eight and a half right now. I think he's like 28 years old, right? Uh, so you know very much in the prime. You know eight and a half, I would even maybe pay nine uh, for Mika Zibanejad as it stands. However, obviously with these long term contracts, uh, you can't imagine this will age particularly well, especially near the later stages. None of these do really, honestly, when you're signing a guy at 28. Um, but that's you know, it'll be interesting because, you know, the Rangers, I've never really totally bought into it, especially after that whack-ass offseason that they just had. Uh, and I don't know. It feels like they're, feels like they feel like they can contend, even though I'm not entirely bought into this whole thing. Yeah. Another funny thing the Rangers did, uh, this was actually just today. They announced six alternate captains and they still, <laughs> they don't have a captain since uh, Ryan McDonough was traded away. And I guess they're trying to fill that void by giving A's to... Artemi Panarin, Chris Kreider, Mika Zibanejad, Jacob Truba, Ryan Strom, and the one and only Barkley Goodrow. Uh, and Sam Stern replied to this this announcement with, just be normal once. <laughs> yeah, what the... <laughs> it doesn't mean anything anymore when, what, 6 out of 23? That's like over a quarter of your team is an alternate over captain. a quarter <laughs> of your team is an alternate <laughs> captain. <laughs> Uh, okay, it's certainly an interesting leadership USA, decision. Yeah. Didn't Team USA in the World Cup in 2016 have like a captain, three alternate captains, and then like four or five more members of the extended leadership group or something? That's does that ring a bell? Yeah, at all? I mean, maybe sure. I mean, when it comes to uh, best on best hockey, you got to feed the egos that are in the room, I guess, at that point. Um, <laughs> and that's why you see that kind of thing. But, you know, it's, we're talking about the New York Rangers here. This is not a, a bona fide group of 20 superstars. Uh, I don't know why you're, you're handing out assistant captain positions like they're candy. Uh, and, uh, yeah, I don't know. The it's all, it's all fake room. anyways. Assist, uh, assistant captains, who cares? Uh, but, uh, you know, it's kind of funny when you have six of them lying around. Uh, and <laughs> yeah, over a quarter just kind of makes it sound stupid and meaningless, which it basically is. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, and I also saw the Rangers today uh, send Vitaly Kravtsov to the Hartford Wolfpack, and everyone was kind of, or Rangers fans at least, were freaking out about that. But I then people were saying that they're going to do some maneuver to like call him up in like a couple days. And the only reason they did that was because they didn't want to put Libor Hayek on waivers, if you were wondering where the Rangers' headspace was in terms of priority. Ah, yes. Fantasy legend, Libor Hayek. Um, so, you know, good, good, good to see that the Rangers have their head straight in terms of roster construction and leadership. Um, yeah, very, very well led by James Dolan there. Um, can't, can't say they've done anything wrong in the last 365 days. Um, but, uh, yeah, cool shit, Rangers. I, this is, this is, this kind of weird shit is why I never, I'm not picking them to go to the playoffs this year. I don't, I don't buy into it just yet with the Rangers. Um, it just always seems like, you know, they're kind of moving forward with the rebuild, but. At the same time, they're taking steps back. And uh, yeah, it just doesn't seem like a tight ship. It doesn't seem like a tight ship. It's, everything is kind of loose. All the all the dictators are, are being swung around on the ocean. Uh, and uh, not a good vibe. Not a good vibe. Yeah, you know, I kind of, I get the sense that the Zabanejad contract in some ways feels James Dolan influenced in that it's like, oh yeah, let's keep the, uh... actually, I haven't looked at the actual salary structure breakdown, but I imagine uh, because the AAV is lower, that they're paying him less for now to pay him more later. And that kind of feels like a James Dolan thing. And maybe Chris Drury would have wanted to be like, yeah, maybe let's try to do six years, even if even if the AAV is a little higher. Maybe. I mean, you're, you're saying that, uh, well, let's see. Let's look at this contract structure right now. It, it's looking like the bulk of it is in the next, it's not this season, but it's in the three seasons after uh, where he's being paid about $10 million. Uh, and, uh, like, I mean, maybe, I don't know. I think, I think you're right though. I think Dolan is very all in on this team, um, that he, you know, the, the grit factor and, uh, yeah, I think, yeah, I think the team's kind of all run weird, you know? Um, and this, this contract, it doesn't seem like they have any sort of long-term vision. Like, it's just kind of like willy nilly, you know, like, ah, this guy's good. Let's give him eight years. Uh, and you know, it's, is there an absence of a long-term plan? Do you feel that too? I mean, I wasn't feeling that before they made, you know, a bunch of strange moves this off season. Right. Uh, what I had been thinking was kind of, you know, I mean, you know, you know, signing guys like Panarin, bringing in Jacob Truba in that off season were really moves to, you know, try and speed the rebuild along. And I do think the makings are still there for a good team, but a lot of it does hinge on Lafreniere and Kako. Uh, I don't see an absence of a plan as much as they just kind of took their pretty good plan and made it worse because Tom Wilson injured their star player. Yeah. And then they went ahead and fired their entire front office. Right. Um, So yeah, that's, that's fair. Um, And uh, that's a bad ownership will do to you. Uh, yeah, like I mean, that that team had really does have some nice pieces, especially with Adam Fox. You know, obviously winning the Norris last year. Um, but uh, yeah, I don't. They they it, like they took that plan, they tore to shreds, and then now it's like, what are you doing? What do you do now? What do you do now? All right. Um, unless you have anything else to add on the Rangers, we can move to the other uh, big eight-year contract that was signed this uh, just this week. Uh, a contract that I would say is for a much safer player and a, and a real bona fide superstar. Just moving forward for. for for what I would say, the duration of the contract, I don't think there's much of a concern. He's only 26. It's Alex Barkov, or Alexander Barkov. Uh, eight years, $10 million. Seems pretty fair for a guy who's, uh, you know, shown to, shown himself to be uh, year after year, bona fide superstar, two-way force. 
Mr. Barkov. Yeah. Yeah, this one will be worth it. I'm quite sure about that. He's uh he's really one of the top players in the NHL. And I know like it is fun still to dunk on people who are like, who's the most underrated player? I think it's Alexander Barkov. Uh, because, you know, he was in that conversation. He's been in that conversation constantly and at a certain point you're not underrated anymore. But this guy really is one of the one of the top centers in the NHL. And uh, you know, look, looking back, it's funny because that 2013 draft, uh, it took a while, but it seems like the Panthers really did uh, get it right, taking him over Seth Jones because Barkov is, uh, you know, the face of the franchise for the Panthers, and he's going to be year in year out one of the key reasons I think the Panthers are going to have a little bit of sustained success moving forward. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, it's great that they got they got this done pretty early um, because uh, yeah, I think we're seeing more and more that you know players they're starting to see more empowerment in terms of using their leverage i mean the brady kachuk thing still hasn't gotten resolved yet uh and it looks like they're being prepared to start with him uh without him on opening night and so you know teams are getting it done this early even though you know it can backfire if the player has a down season um i i think it's safe to say that you do give yourself quite the security they don't have to uh kind of panic and then lose the lever- like lose even more leverage when the season starts to uh, you know, count down the players holding out or threatens to sign with another team. Uh, and, uh, you know, good for Florida. It's, it's a reasonable cap hit for sure for a superstar. Uh, and I mean, it seems that they, they got their organization down pat and, uh, that's, uh, it's definitely a good sign if you're a Florida fan because, uh, you know, they got their, 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 their money in order and, uh, they're signing these guys to, uh, contracts that they, uh, very much for fair, fair value. Yeah. I don't think Barkov is that all the type of player you need to worry about having a down season. I'm not sure if he's ever actually had one, uh, but Zabanajad, he's so hot and cold. That's one of the reasons, like, eight years are just so scary, and he's already almost 30. Like, it, it might not just be a matter of him having an off year. Like, that decline could start at any second now. And even I was looking at the J Fresh player card for Zabanajad. It's very strange. Uh, J Fresh even says, like, um, possibly the strangest analytical profile i've seen because like the even strength uh percentiles on offense and defense are very low for him and he gets all his value on like power play and like finishing goals per 60 stuff like that uh which is you know it, it makes that one feel like a lot more of a risk i guess i i kind of turned back onto the ad but my initial point was that barkov is a much safer bet and that i don't really see a way for this contract to go that badly oh yeah absolutely um yeah they're really like was a manager and you're right especially near the later years uh we don't know how he's gonna tail off you know then and his game st- and his gameplay style um will that you know find a way to regress uh perhaps but with barkov you really you know he has a he has a very very solid track record of success uh basically his entire career as he said and yeah 10 million dollars it doesn't it doesn't feel like an overpayment at all um in fact you know i would be if i was a team i'd be willing to pay me even more than that um, but, uh, you know, good for, good for Florida to be able to lock him down like that. Really. It's, uh, that, that's a lot of cap cap security. Uh, and you know, in a few years when the cap goes up, uh, that contract's only looking going to look better and better. Mika Zibanejad, Alexander Barkov, were there any other top 10 picks who signed contracts this week? Oh, I know. I have one. Jack Johnson, who signed with the Colorado Avalanche after his, his PTO. Uh, I keep forgetting, not only does he suck, but he's actually old. Like, he's 34 <laughs> years old, Jack Johnson. Uh, oh, and so he's going to 
keep getting even worse. And yet you somehow still hanging around the league. Here, I have a question for you. How many career NHL games has Jack Johnson played? Ooh, he's 34. I assume he's a, you know, top 10 pick. I'm going to say he's played around. Oh man, what's the math on this one? I'm going to say he's played a thousand games. Has he cracked a thousand? Nine hundred and fifty. Pretty good. The, the Pretty thousand good. game watch for Jack Johnson is on. <laughs> and when was the last time he was good? Like two thousand and I don't know if he ever was, but like, how long has everyone yeah, that's known? Up, that that's sucks? Probably at least five or six years. Uh, and then Joe Sakic, who everyone had you know praised as being the greatest GM in the entire world of the Colorado Avalanche, uh, caps off his uh, pretty pretty mediocre offseason by signing the worst player in the National Hockey League. Uh, and, you know, I'll say the exact same thing I said about him on the Rangers last year. If he gets on the ice, he's going to tank this team. I don't care how good the rest of it is around it, around him. He's going to cost them games if he plays in them. And uh, I don't expect him to play much, but I am rooting for him to play a lot because anytime he's on the ice is must-watch TV, as we know, as we mentioned at the start of this past season. And I'm rooting for him to get to a 1,000 games. Yeah, I uh, hats off, hats off to Jack Johnson for for running one of the longest running grifts and scams that we've seen in the league. Um, I don't understand how he gets people to pay him this much money to actually play hockey professionally. Um, it's like, what are you watching? What the fuck are you watching on the ice, Joe Sakic? <laughs> uh, I want I want to know who who did the player evaluation on this one on Jack Johnson uh, and handed you know Joe the note, signed this guy. Uh, right, he was on a PTO, right? He showed up to Colorado. And apparently he played well enough to earn a contract, which I doubt so, so hard. I that's that's hard to conceptualize how he, he showed up and based on his based on his game. performance. <laughs> oh, there we go. That goal that go, that was a seven hundred and fifty thousand dollar goal for Jack Johnson. Um, because yeah, I find it hard to believe that, you know, Jack Johnson showed up to a team, the Colorado Avalanche no less, uh, and and played his way into a contract. That's a that's a that's a funny fucking situation right there. And uh yeah, good for him. You know, he turned around just when he needed to. He's got, got like, just a bit, in the, bit left in the gas tank, and he just throws it all, and, you know, he leaves it all out there during training camp. Gets himself that contract. Gets himself closer to that thousand games. Uh, we'll be sure to throw him a party here on this podcast when he does. Uh, and, uh, yeah, you know, maybe I'll change my fantasy team name back to him because, you know, he's now an, officially an NHL player. So, you know, shout out to Jack Johnson. Uh, pretty big dub there. Pretty big win. Uh, and uh, for Colorado, yeah, you better fucking hope he doesn't see the ice one second. Not one second. Uh, or else you're fucked. And, uh, you know, I hope he makes a playoff appearance. I really do hope he makes a playoff appearance. Um, nothing would make me happier in the world than Jack Johnson in the playoffs. I can't wait for the Jack Johnson, Kale McCarr social experiment defensive pairing. <laughs> How would that work? It's, it's happening. The unstoppable oh force meets Jack Johnson. What happens then? <laughs> the unstoppable force meets, meets Kale McCarr. Um, you know, uh, how <laughs> I would put it. You know, he's an unforceable, unstoppable force on the down, um, is what I would argue. So, uh, you know, that's that would be quite the world of the worlds, the world of the good defensemen and the terrible ones. So, uh, you know, I'm looking, I'm looking forward to anything Jack Johnson related, and uh, you know, hopefully he can stick around, maybe play his way into a contract next year. So we can have this exactly the same conversation, but with a different team. Um, Do you know yeah, what? Jack Johnson if, just brings excitement. Yeah, he really does. And I hope he never leaves. 
Um, but do you know, were there any other former third overall picks who used to play for the Pittsburgh Penguins who signed a league in India with a team that wears burgundy after a PTO this week? Can you think of any other ones? Wow. Very, very specific. I can actually. Um, wow. His name split slips my mind though. Would you care to, would you care to remind us who it is? Uh, my notes say that. I, I do Alex recall you might have played for the Habs though. There we go. Yeah, he sure did. Alex Galchenyuk has signed with the Coyotes after his PTO. Um, I gotta be honest uh, that when I saw Galchenyuk sign that PTO with Arizona to start with, I was like, oh yeah, I guess he's probably gonna sign there. But I was a little disappointed that he didn't want to add another team to his resume because in uh, he's only how old is he? About twenty. He's twenty seven. Already played for. Montreal, Arizona, Pittsburgh, Minnesota, Ottawa, Toronto. And I was hoping he would get up to number seven, but he's circled yeah. back to the Coyotes, where I imagine he's going to get uh, more playing time, at least, than somewhere else, and probably get flipped at the deadline to, I guess, a seventh team. And one interesting Hopefully. thing about this is that this is actually a cheaper contract than apparently Toronto offered him to stick around. Um, I'm not sure exactly what Toronto offered him, but Galchenyuk kind of you know wanted to test the market, say... I think I can get more than that, uh, and he pro- and he definitely does deserve more than league men, especially based on his overall performance with Toronto. But that blunder that cost his team the series in Game Five in overtime appears to have also cost him hundreds of thousands of dollars. <laughs> Do you really think that one errant pass? Caught, yes, <laughs> turn teams off. Really? Okay, I really do. Well, yeah, I really was, honestly it was do, a bad because spot. it was such a. It was such a. I mean, not just how bad the timing was, uh, for that terrible error. But how terrible the error actually was. <laughs> fair enough. Fair enough. Um, so yeah, I mean, that's uh, well, just like Jack Johnson, we'll never, we'll never get tired of the the Alex Galchenyuk talk here on this podcast. Uh, and uh, but I, I think it makes sense for him to go to uh, Arizona. I don't know if the offer with Toronto was still standing when he took this contract. Um, but uh, I think it makes sense in terms of his playing time. If he wants to keep his career going, I can't imagine he gets too too much playing time uh, in Toronto. I'll uh, certainly get a a bigger role in Arizona, so I, I can't blame him. Uh, he's still getting paid a solid chunk of change, and uh, yeah, this is this is his route to getting to a contender uh, by the end of the season. Get a ring and then get some more money. Get, now he's got playoff pedigree, perhaps at the end of the season if he gets uh, that contender. And uh, yeah, we'll see. I think uh, you know I, I heard Phil Kessel's potentially on his way out this season um, during the season. So you know that's that's even bigger role potentially for Gouch. And so uh, that's 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 good for him. Good for him. It looks like he's making a, a career move back to Arizona. I just pulled up the Coyotes' depth chart on Cat Friendly, and like, why is Galchenyuk yep. not listed? And I see he's listed as week to week with an upper body injury. Uh, I assume that happened after he signed the deal. Um, let me try to look for more info on that. But uh, that'd be too bad for him if he couldn't start the year. Yeah, it would. Um, but, uh, you know, you can stick around and then, uh, wait for Kessel to leave and then, uh, grab that first line roll. Here we go. First liner back on the first line is what I project for our boy. Alex Galchenyuk. Uh, I heard it here the, first. The stretch of time from like 2014 to 2018 or not, maybe not quite 2018, but about whereabouts there where you'd be penciling in or I'd be penciling in patch already Galchenyuk Gallagher as the Habs top line every single year to start. And it's like, maybe this is the year Galchenyuk will finally blossom into the top line center between Max Pacioretty and Brennan Gallagher. Last, of course, it was, it was never to be so except for a brief stretch of time in 2016. 
Yeah. So who knows? Maybe this is the spot. Second stint in Arizona. Um, when, when has anyone broken out in Arizona like that? Never. Uh, but, uh, you know, there's always time for a first. And hopefully it's this guy. Because, uh, yep, always room for him. Um, good, for, good, good for him. All right. Uh, mm-hmm. oh, I think that's I all the contracts see, uh... we need to cover for today. Go ahead. Uh, yeah, I also looking at the Coyotes. We were talking about the huh. Carter Hutton, Joseph Coronar goaltending tandem. It looks like Joseph yep. Coronar has actually not made the team, and he's been Ooh. beaten out by Karel Vemelka, 25-year-old uh, fifth-round pick from 2015, who has who? Uh, never played in North America, it would appear. Uh, last year, he had a 9-11 save percentage in 35 games in the Czech Extra Liga. And he is now the Arizona Coyotes backup goalie. So, congratulations to him. Oh man, that is that's beautiful. That's a work of art. So, whenever Carter Hutton needs a break, he'll be replaced by Carol Vemelka, who uh, we might be the third and fourth people to have heard of him after his parents. Uh, who knows? <laughs> but uh, yeah, yeah, I mean, that's, not even the Coyotes that's... know who he is. <laughs> I mean, he's actually getting paid. He's the highest paid Coyotes goalie right now. That's. That's on the roster. Yeah, he he is. Paid more than Hutton. So that's he's the highest paid goalie in the entire organization, <laughs> at, with a cap hit of eight hundred forty-two thousand five hundred. Wow, what is a beauty? They're spending one point six million dollars in goalies this year. Talk about an absolute bargain. Although I don't know if I would say bang for the buck because uh, there's not much bang here in these two goalies. Uh, but uh, you know that this will be entertaining. This will be entertaining, you know? Maybe maybe Carol Velmelka. Ve- I don't even know how to fucking pronounce that name. Vej, Vej Melka. Probably, Ve- we'll say yeah, probably like Lucas Vedemo, I'm thinking. Vej Melka, Ve- that same type of Ve- prefix. Ve- I don't know, something like that. Whatever. Uh, well, Carol, um, I'll figure out your pronunciation eventually for your last name, and uh, hopefully you can uh, steal some games for the Coyotes this year. I'll be sure to potentially pick you up on the Fantasy Waiver Wire. Uh, is he the next Kevin Lankinen? Maybe. You never know. Probably not. You never know. We all know that Beck know. Warm they, is they the bo- next Kevin Lankinen. Yeah. Oh, well, Beck Warm's better than Kevin Lankinen already. So I don't know what you're talking Ooh. about. Uh, but Carol and Kevin both start with K. So I think that's already a good sign. He's already off to a good start. So besides the Banerjad, Barkov, Jack Johnson, and Alex Galchenyuk, are there any other top 10 picks who just joined a new team recently? <laughs> Uh, yeah, I also heard there was another f- former first-round Habs uh, draft pick who, who was involved in the same trade. Um, yeah, I'm sure. I'm, I'm assuming you're referring to the uh, Vancouver, Florida trade. It was Florida, right? Indeed, um, I am. Where we have uh, Ali Olevi from the Canucks, the the failed experiment. After five years, it's over. Off to Vancouver for was it Yuso Lamico, or right? And uh, and Yuho Lamico. You, you ho, Lamico, and noted Hab celebrity Noah Yulson. Um, so you know Jim Benning with this with a with a star uh, Sterling pick, fifth overall. It's clearly panned out for him. Yeah, that's got to be one of the worst picks, uh, especially in the top five that there's been in at least recent memory. Uh, because the correct pick was so obviously right there. Not only. Was first of all, it was Matthew Kachuk, is of course who I'm referencing. He went one pick later, and not only did uh, Matthew Kachuk go one pick later, and not only was it to a divisional rival in the Calgary Flames, but Matthew Kachuk and Olya Levy were literally teammates on the London Knights. 
and everyone was like, oh yeah, you know, Matthew Kachuk is going to be great. And Ole Levy is like, oh yeah, the defensemen in this draft are quite weak compared to the forwards. Uh, also, it's worth mentioning that Mikhail Sergachev and Jacob Chikrin and Charlie McAvoy all went like not long after that. And it would have been kind of surprising if any of them went before U Levy, but uh, we can see in hindsight now it would have been a more reasonable pick. But um, I was just going to add something else to that. Oh, it's that the Canucks, uh, at the time I remember it was like, oh yeah, they're picking for, for organizational need. They have, you know, Besser in the system and some other forwards. Who else was it? Uh, Jake Vertanen at the time was still, you know, a promising prospect. And he was like, and Bo Horvat as well. I was like, oh yeah, we got to take a defense from this time. Let's go with Ole Ulevi and watch him, you know, never crack the lineup or barely ever crack the lineup for five years and then lie down in the corner in training camp and then we <laughs> trade him a week later. How does that sound? Uh, that sounds incredible. That sounds like a gym betting move. Um, yeah, I forgot about that picture uh, until now. And uh, that's, uh, yeah, that's a, that's a flop. That's a fucking flop uh i i for, i'd forgotten that they were both you know kachak and olevi were both on the london knights i don't know how you botched that well i know how you botched that you go for you draft for positional lead which is something that you should never be doing in this nhl um it just doesn't make sense you draft for talent and they did not do that and here you are five years later you're trading you know a guy who fifth overall pick has played 23 games in his first five years that's so embarrassing uh and yeah it's uh they're getting him for for basically nothing for a, for a former waiver wire guy in Yulson. So, you know, I, I'm cheering for Yulson, though. You know, you, you can never stop cheering for these first-round picks who inevitably fail for the Habs. Uh, and as they bounce around, you know, and uh, it's, uh, yeah, especially with his, his, health, his health concerns, you know, with the eye and everything. Uh, hopefully, mm-hmm. he can crack the uh, Vancouver Canucks defense. That shouldn't be too tall you know, of an order. He, I mean, he sh- he probably should at least, you know, have a shot at it. Uh, but I think they'll probably just, you know, leave him on the outside looking in. Travis Hamannick was a place on waivers. So, all right, I know we've talked about the Canucks defense at length, but I simply must reiterate <laughs> how hilarious it is to look at it and try to move around the defensemen that you know are going to be on the team into somewhat passable pairings. And when Tyler Myers and Tucker Pullman are both penciled <laughs> into the top four, there's really nothing you can do. Here's here's what Cat Friendly says right now. Quinn Hughes with Tucker Pullman. Oliver Ekman Larson with Tyler Myers oh, and a bottom pairing of Brad Hunt and Luke Shen. <laughs> I'm looking forward to that OEL Myers pairing or Tucker Pullman on so the first much. pair. Honestly, this whole thing is just a giant hit. It's just, it's, it, you can't mess with this. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, the Vancouver Canucks will be must watch TV for all the wrong reasons. And I'm here that's for some it. of the right, though. I'm that's here for the it. thing. It's that they have a ton of high-end forward talent that's going to be like unironically exciting and fun to watch. They're going to have a killer power play. Uh, but, you know, as soon as the, opponent, the opposing team gets the puck in, uh, in the Vancouver zone, no matter which pairing is on the ice, it is very possibly going to be a clown show. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and, yeah, I'm, I'm here for that clown show. I mean, I just want to see Tucker Pullman going up against, you know, the league's top competition because he has to play the tough minutes. Tucker Pullman playing tough minutes while being paid $2.5 million for the next four years. This okay, is what my, we signed up for here in Vancouver. My guess is they're going to have OEL and Myers out there as that top shutdown pairing against the likes, likes of, uh, you know, Connor McDavid. Uh, and Tucker Pullman might get more offensive zone starts. But uh, I think your point does indeed still stand. 
Yeah, it's okay. I, if their offensive zone starts, we'll quickly turn into defensive zone, you know, bog downs. So, uh, you know, we all love to see it. You love to see it. And, uh, you know, it'll be it'll be one of those things that you can always just like at any point in the year, you can go to Vancouver's cap friendly, have a good laugh, you know, turn on the highlights and presumably uh, barring any sort of miraculous defensive uh, renaissance, uh, you'll you'll see a, an absolute uh, just a clown show, just a clown show on the back end. Um, and that's what happens when uh, you hand select bad contracts for your defense. This is yep. It, it is it is a weekly pleasure to go through this cap friendly page. Yeah, it sure is. Back on uh, you, Levy, for a second. Uh, if yeah. I may play devil's advocate for a moment, I want to oh, bring boy. up once again. I want to bring up once again the what I think is the funniest account on hockey Twitter at Erickson's Burner, who said, uh, "The Canucks should have drafted Matthew Kachuk." Yeah, okay. Imagine him and Elias Pettersson talking to each other. Oh, what's that? You can't do it because the vibes would be so fundamentally off? Exactly. Matthew Kachuk is a girl boss, a war criminal, a lunatic, clinically insane in the next Virgin Mary, and he's never going to die. Ole Ulevi is a nice boy. Jim chose right. <laughs> well, when you put it like that, when you put it like that, maybe they didn't, it didn't turn out so bad. Maybe it really is a defensible pick. Uh, okay. All right. You, you, you sold me on it. You sold me on it. Okay. Well, we'll just stop talking. We'll just stop roasting the Canucks altogether. Um, when you put it like that, the vibes just wouldn't be right if this team were remotely good on the back end. Yeah. And also had Matthew Kachuk on it. Just that would too. not work. No, uh-huh. not one Although, day. I'm just seeing now, uh, the Canadians have finalized their 23-man roster, and it includes 15 forwards and 6 defensemen. And two goalies, Jake Allen and Samuel Montembeau. Uh, and among the forwards are Ryan Paling, Matthew Perrault, Cedric Paquette, Alex Belzeal. And among the defensemen are uh, Chris Weidman. And Joel Edmondson is uh, not listed here because he's on uh, IR. So there's a little bit of insight. Yeah, oh, and Adam Brooks. Suck. This team's probably Adam Brooks bad. is also on the team oh, yeah. because they just claimed him off waivers today. Waiver, man. Adam Brooks. So that's... You know that's always good when you're getting guys on waivers and immediately putting them into your, to your lineup. Where 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 do they list him? Um, uh, it's, it's just it's, it's there's not a lineup. It's just a list like alphabetically. Uh, okay. uh, but it's just but that is what waivers right. is like. When you claim a player off waivers, you have to put them on your roster right. right away. That's true. That is true. Um, but you don't have to necessarily play them as much as you want to, as you or as you can, which uh. Yeah, this team, this team isn't this like you know you you got you got the goalies. You're leaning on Jake Allen and Samuel Montembeau, who like hasn't looked good even in preseason action. Um, and you know the defense is as bad as ever. Haven't really done much to shore it up aside from like getting David Savard. And you know the forwards have been questionable uh, with additions like Mike Hoffman to cover the loss of uh, you know Philip Dano. So and Hoffman hasn't yeah, even played. Uh, this this exactly. So this roster is, uh, you're looking at it, and uh, it doesn't look good at all, does it? It doesn't look like a playoff team at all. Not one bit. Nope. Mm-hmm. Adam Brooks, there though, we go. which I guess we can kind of segue into uh, waivers today. I was thinking, because it's funny, because for some reason, teams seem to zero in on players that the Leafs put on waivers. And I think that's part of just, you know, Toronto being hated in general uh, for a, a multitude of reasons. <laughs> And we see them constantly losing more players than other teams on waivers. Remember, there was Curtis McLean and Calvin Picard on the same day a couple years ago. And they lost Jimmy Vesey last year, Travis Boyd, now Adam Brooks. 
And none of these players individually, it's so strange that they would have gotten claimed. But the fact that it's all of them and that similar players are constantly getting are constantly clearing waivers, uh, it's it's pretty funny. And one example I thought of just from this year, Logan Brown was waived by the St. Louis Blues a couple of days ago, and he cleared. No one went for Logan Brown, which I was pretty surprised by. You know, six foot six, he's only twenty three, eleventh uh, overall pick, and he's produced pretty well. In the the minors, I'm surprised no one would have taken a shot on him, and yet you know, uh, Montreal and I guess possibly other teams were jumping at the chance to take a stab at Adam Brooks for your fourth line. Yeah, it's a league-wide conspiracy. Is what we can deduce from this. Uh, everybody hates the Leafs, um, but uh, you know, I think yeah, there there is an added spotlight. I mean, like if even if if you're a an NHL general manager, obviously it's your job to keep track, you know, keep tabs on the other 31 teams. But I'm assuming. That you can't help but you know shift your gaze to where the reporting goes. Um, I don't know. I'm just making broad assumptions here, but uh, that would explain, or maybe just Toronto just gives better players on waivers. Uh, that's not. That's not true. That's not the case. They're just. They seem to be disproportionately targeted. Um, but I'm all here for that. I am all here for that. And uh, yeah. I, speaking of the Leafs, I uh, I haven't done so, but I heard you finished watching All or Nothing. Any thoughts? Yes. Uh, I mean, my main thought was one that I read that one that I told you about. I really loved, yeah, like the way they did game six of that series. Uh, because going into intermission, remember they've just mounted a comeback that came back from I think it was down two nothing, tie the game two two. Sheldon Keith is giving this super great motivational speech to them, and it's like, man, this this feels like it could have been scripted. It's so so being so well phrased of like you know it's all about this moment nothing else matters blah 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 whatever you know all those things except he you know said it in a in a more inspiring way than i just did uh and there's this dramatic music in the background they're showing this montage i think from like the entire season and it's framed in like a like a disney movie that's like oh yeah this team they're about to pull through and overcome and win then they cut to overtime and it's like they're dominating shots are 11-1, 12-1, 13-1, they're going to break through. And then they just don't. And then Chuck and Yemi scores. And they, why would I love how they did this? They didn't cut to them like in the locker room after being sad. After the goal, it was just the play. They were skating around a bit disappointed. And they just cut to the next day. It was like, no, no <laughs> wrapping up on that game. It's like, next day, time to get ready for game seven. And I was like, that is hilarious. And I don't, I'm not sure that it was intentionally funny. Um, but you know, the way the setup, what we were talking at the time about game six, like Montreal did not deserve at all to win that overtime. Toronto probably in that overtime wins, you know, 99 times out of a hundred and looking, going into that, how great Sheldon Key's big motivational speech was, how fired up how all the players were and how well they were playing. It's like, damn, it's like, that was the perfect setup for them to, to win and move on. <laughs> it just didn't happen. I love the Maple Leafs for that. Uh, what a what a gift. Um, and uh, yeah, I mean, this is the opportune moment. This is what is defined. You know, like you got you got a great chance to advance. You got a great chance to you know make it a, a positive impression. And uh, you know they fucking flopped and and, and flop in spectacular fashion. And I think it's narrative art that Amazon or whoever was behind the camera decided to just like, all right, fuck it, we're moving to the next day. <laughs> um, I wonder. I wonder who made that call because I know you know, like the Leafs had had some input on the on the content there, and uh, you know, I think that's 
I mean, is that your way of glossing over the loss? Um, or is it just like, I don't know. Did nobody just... <laughs> I just want yeah, to know I guess that could have been the intent. Like, yeah, they're trying it. to not make too much of a big a deal, big deal out of it. That's interesting. Yeah, I think so. Right. Yeah. Also, like, wanna... I'm pretty sure a part of the deal that you said with Amazon was like, as soon as our season's done, uh, then you don't get access to the team anymore. Uh, because at the end of that game seven, they, I mean, they showed you know the players being devastated. Jack Campbell was crying all these things. And there was like, like Kyle Dubas had this thing in, the, in his office throughout the year. It was kind of like a big board with yep. the lineup, like the depth chart and next to each player, like, you know, they're like their name and number and being like other details about them smaller. And then I think the last shot or one of the last shots of all or nothing was he was like, the board had been changed to 2021, 22. And the only names I saw or that I remember seeing were like for the forwards, it was like Matthews, Marner, Tavares, Nylander, and Mikheyev. And I I think it was kind of this like go foreshadowing season two, even though we know now there's almost definitely, I'm pretty sure maybe even 100% not going to be a season two. But I thought like, wait, where was Kerfoot? And I wonder if Kyle Dubas was so sure at that point that they were going to lose Kerfoot to Seattle and that's why he wasn't there. Yeah, I don't I don't think they ever really got, he got the full buy-in from the organization. Um, and yeah, who was it that they traded for? Uh, was it? You know, with Pittsburgh at the end there? Oh, Jared McCann. That seemed like... Yeah, right. Uh, with McCann. Um, remind me what happened there again? Because McCann's on the... Yeah, so basically, the on. Leafs uh, were... They probably would have lost Kerfoot. Uh, instead, they traded Philip Hollander in a seventh-round pick to Pittsburgh for Jared McCann. Uh, and Seattle took Jared McCann. So that they essentially just lost Hollander in a seventh to Seattle. But also, it probably would have been smarter after acquiring McCann to protect him and also two more forwards and expose uh, Justin Hall instead is what we right. were saying at the time. Right, right, right. Exactly. Okay. So yeah, that's, yeah, it's, it's an interesting uh, little tidbit there, I guess, if you're reading in between the lines. Um, but uh, I mean, but the, back to the game six thing though. I mean, they still had access after that game six though, didn't they? Cause the season was still going. They still had another game. To yeah. Go. Yeah. yeah. Um, so it was clearly a conscious choice to be like, all right, fuck it. We're just going to move on. Uh, and pretend that didn't happen and that you know it's you, you'll love to see that you know, that beautiful narrative payoff happen at the end um and uh yeah it was it overall what were your thoughts on the not just not just the that, that little game six bit but what were your thoughts on the whole series uh i liked it i i think but I, my main thought is i would have liked to see this for a more entertaining behind the scenes team Kind of like, you know, like some that we mentioned, like the Oilers, the Senators, the Sabres, the Coyotes, something like that. I feel like it'd be cool to see because yeah. in general, it does give a lot of my favorite moments team. were my favorite moments were like the moments with like the front, like with Kyle Dubas, either talking to the rest of the front office or Sheldon Keefe or one of the players, because we do get to see, you know, player interviews, uh, players, you know, hanging out in the dressing room and stuff from time to time, but you so rarely get access to, to the front office, those types of meetings. That, that was my favorite thing to see. There was one I remember that really liked. It was right before game seven, Kyle Dubas had a, a meeting with Mitch Marner and Mitch Marner was just looking so nervous and sad. And Kyle Dubas was basically trying to hype him up and be like, you know, it, what, what he said stuff like, Oh yeah, you know, you're talented, you gotta believe in yourself, whatever. That wasn't exactly what he says, but that was kind of the message. And Mitch was there just like, you know what? 
I expect a lot out of myself. I expect more than what I've been doing. And Kyle Dubas was pretty much just trying to be nice to him and be like, you'll, you'll don't worry, you'll be fine. Uh, and obviously that uh, <laughs> they were it didn't not. work. <laughs> oh man! I don't know if he said I, you'll I just... be fine. But he was basically he was just trying to be super nice to Mitch and be like, right. you'll figure it out. You're very talented. Yeah, that's that's interesting. I mean, you gotta wonder. Like, do you have any thoughts on perhaps like have you has your perception changed on the team, like the personnel itself? Um, and you know, does this confirm in your eyes like that they're they're they've got a losing mentality, or is it that they've just kind of like collapsed and it doesn't really mean much? What do you think? Uh, I think I kind of think the same thing I thought before in that regard. Yeah. Like they didn't focus much, obviously for obvious reasons, on the like. The Matthews and Marner suck these playoffs narrative. <laughs> they really didn't focus on that. Right. The only things were, uh, I'm trying to remember if this was during the playoffs of Kyle Dubas in a meeting with the likes of, uh, you know, Sheldon Keith, Paul McLean uh, were there. And uh, Paul McLean said something like, oh, these players, you know, they've got demons to exercise. They've got demons everywhere they look under their bed in their closet and i was like well okay mr ernest hemingway we get the idea and but but it wasn't like will arnett who was narrating was like mitch marner comes under fire for all the fans who want him traded because he only has two points in six games or whatever he had right okay so uh okay i've just no now that we know all this whatever limited access they had or, or showed us um I, I can't wait to see what uh I hope that you know. I, I oh man, if they give if they give us another flop of a season, nothing would bring me more joy with uh, this upcoming year. And uh, I, I'm just here for all the takes. I'm here for the, all the Toronto takes. I mean, I feel bad for the players as individuals, um, but but as a team, they're a work of art in, uh, in 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 flash collapses that are just too good. All right, yeah. okie dokie. Um, yeah. So other stuff in the news. Um, you know, we're still in the middle of a pandemic. It hasn't been completely solved yet. Uh, and the big news that, that came out just, I think, about 20 minutes before we started recording today is that the newest NHL team, you know, Seattle, obviously, uh, they've been hit with a pretty big outbreak. Or, or at least, you know, um, they have a bunch of players in protocol. Now, shortly before we started recording, we tried to figure out, well, what does that protocol mean exactly in terms of, you know, not being able to play? We are not entirely sure. But what we do know is that, you know, we have five players, five pretty significant players, you know, and Jared McCann, Jonas Donskoy, Marcus Johansson, Callie Yarncroft, and Jamie Alexiak, all in the COVID protocol, which uh, I assume either they're tested positive or some sort of like high risk, close contact. And uh, yeah, Seattle not starting off on the wrong foot uh, and seemingly not entirely of their own fault because, uh, you know, pandemic still raging on and presumably at least most of these guys were vaccinated, um, but we had a few breakthrough cases, and uh, they're starting with uh, four of their top nine out for an indeterminate period of time. I believe you mean not starting off on the right foot. You said uh, not starting off on the wrong foot. Uh, but I think your point came across anyway. Yeah, so that kind of sucks. And the, the Kraken was actually one of the teams I was most looking forward to, to watching on the first week. And now in addition to Yanni Gord, who's injured, a couple other guys who won't be available. Um, I don't imagine that they tested positive, or at least that they all tested positive. Uh, we saw this quite frequently during last season, COVID protocol, and they're only there for like a couple days while they test negative four times in a row, and then they're right back out there. 
Uh, that's my assumption on what this is. But uh, one player, the Kraken have added to make up for this, and also because he's pretty good, is Alex Boulet off the waiver wire from the Tampa Bay Lightning. And this was a surprising one to end up on waivers because this was one of the guys everyone was talking about the Lightning. Watch out for Alex Boulet. He's tearing it up uh, in the minors with the Syracuse Crunch. This way he's going to be, you know, their next next breakout player or whatever. And all of a sudden, it actually broke a couple hours before uh, the waiver list had to be submitted because Julian Brisebois talked to Alex Barboulet and said, putting you on waivers, really hope you're clear. And everyone was like, he's not going to clear. And he didn't clear. Because the Kraken, who are near the top of the list for priority, uh, claimed him. And now that that is where he is going to play. Uh, and I was looking at Tampa like, that seems pretty dumb to put him on waivers. But looking at their extremely tight cap crunch, like looking at what other options they had, it was either putting him on waivers or Boris Kachuk or Taylor Radish. Uh, I I guess Boris Kachuk had a pretty good camp. I obviously wasn't in such in, in tune with Tampa Bay Lightning training camp, but I would have thought at least uh, a couple weeks ago that there's a much better chance for Boris Kachuk to clear waivers than Barry Boulay. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, yeah, we've I think especially just even with the last playoffs. I mean, I remember like as he was raising the cup, you know, the broadcast was saying, oh yeah, this guy's going to be part of the next wave of like lightning players that come out of nowhere to become studs uh, for the lightning. Uh, as he was raising the cup, the broadcast was saying that. So yeah, the, the hype has been here. Uh, and yeah, seemingly out of nowhere. Um, he, he's back on waivers. Strange bit of uh, roster management. Absolutely. If you put Boris Kachuk or Taylor Radish, they don't have nearly as much as hype uh, surrounding them and, and their potential is as, you know, Barry Boulay does. So, uh, yeah, I know if you really wanted him to clear uh, or, or if, if Breezeball wanted some, the, his player to clear, I don't think, uh, you know, sending Barry Boulay down was the right move. And, you know, presumably, like, he played some games for the Lightning last year, didn't he? If I'm not mistaken. Yeah, he played 15 uh, games. And, yeah, I don't... I, yeah, exactly. So, I don't I don't see what the... I Like, I don't, I don't see how they could possibly think that he was going to clear. Uh, I presume that if, you know, Seattle hadn't claimed him, there were probably at least, like, 10, 10 other teams that are ready to... Who would, who would already put in a claim? So yeah, surprised to see that. That's certainly the the biggest name out there uh, that has uh, been claimed, and it's no surprise that he was because uh, yeah, it, it really is kind of strange. It's a strange move. Yeah, you know, actually looking closer, Taylor Radish and Boris Kachuk, they were both over a point per game in the AHL last year. So uh, I there's a pretty good chance either one of them would have gotten claimed too. Um, but uh, yeah, there was really no good option here for Tampa Bay except don't be so close to the cap. Yeah, I guess so. Um, but uh, I mean, if they still got point per game guys from the NHL already on their NHL roster, still speaks volumes about their uh, you know development program that they're able to turn these guys like they're nothing every single year. It's pretty crazy. Um, but uh, yeah, that one sucks. I mean, I, I'm sure they could have found a trade partner for Alex Barry Boulay, um, but uh, alas, that they got. I guess they got to hope that Seattle puts him back on waivers so they can you know stash him in the AHL. Yeah, that is one of the reasons why teams are not always too wary about putting fringe guys on waivers especially if there's a good chance they get put on waivers again because then you know you can reclaim them and then put them in the minors uh which is actually what washington just did today with axel jansen fialbi they put him on waivers like a couple weeks ago i think buffalo claimed him which i was surprised by because he is not an nhl player then buffalo just i guess had him at training camp put him on waivers and washington was like i guess we'll just take him back and put him in the minor leagues where we wanted him to go to to begin with 
thanks for, I guess, working with him for a couple weeks, Buffalo. Hopefully you didn't screw up his development too much. <laughs> I mean, it's the Buffalo Sabres, so who knows? Maybe they did. Um, I wouldn't put it past them. I mean, I'm surprised they didn't put it in. I'd be like, man, what a, what a failure of an organization. Uh, they don't know what they're doing. I mean, I guess it can't hurt to get a guy in for a camp, see what he's made of. Um, but, I mean, like, why didn't they put it? I, I assume that they're higher in the waiver order than Seattle. I don't know exactly what the priority is there. But if it's, you know, standings from last year or lottery odds or whatever they are, Buffalo should be the highest yeah, I think highest team. Um, I'm pretty sure Seattle is like third on waiver priority. So Buffalo claimed no one yesterday. Didn't put in a single claim. That's wild. That is crazy. Um, People were that, pointing that out. Like, like you know, so these, why wouldn't Buffalo want to yeah, claim I mean, Barry Boulay or Adam Brooks? And I was, I was th- sitting yeah. here thinking, well, because, I mean, you know, they're trying to suck anyway. So why, you know... Add they someone else you have to pay. When, yeah, they, they want to lose. Yeah. They're trying to suck. Why add someone else to the mix when you have a perfectly good, you know, Vinny Nostroza and John Hayden, you know, you know, playing my bottom six. Oh, did you see um, who's the Buffalo head, co- head coach? Uh, Don Granato said they're moving Tage Thompson to center. And he said something like the potential is too great there for him to pl- be on the wing. And then Jay Fresh shared the player card that he's like <laughs> the 13th percentile for wins above replacement. <laughs> Uh, beautiful i mean i guess the buffalo standards are just too low they're just too low maybe maybe by nhl standards he's 13 13 i think in buffalo standards he's 100 110 percent war um the bar's low I, I wouldn't i wouldn't be completely surprised uh but uh you know that's it's a good time they still haven't solved the eichel thing no end in sight uh yeah buffalo rolls on with craig anderson Craig Anderson and Dustin Pekarski, which I, I think we mentioned that that's the tandem, didn't we? That Dustin Pekarski beat we out did. Aaron Dell. Couple of studs. Yep, we did. So uh, we I think we did that last week, and uh, yeah, I'm excited to you know just yeah. There, there's a lot of entertainment value here for for shitty teams, um, or just like shitty shitty units like Vancouver's defense, um, and we're here for it. They're very watchable, honestly. Very very watchable. You put you put them against a good team. And they're the most watchable. It's like, you know, do I want to watch Nathan McKinnon completely just shred through Tucker Pullman? Um, I do. I do every single night. So, or or the Arizona Coyotes or the Buffalo Sabres. We're we're all here for it. Um, And uh, yeah, that's nightly entertainment for you, people. Yeah, I am looking forward to watching Buffalo. They're uh, Tage Thompson, second line center. Um, You know, Will Butcher, Robert Hogg, Jacob Bryson, Colin Miller. Henry Okiharu, Rasmus Dahlin on defense. I just went down to top uh, just for, you know, clarification. Very much looking forward to that one. And the other player who uh, was claimed on waivers was Patrick Brown, claimed by the the Flyers in the Golden Knights. Any thoughts on Patrick Brown? I mean, not really. He's a pretty, pretty boilerplate player. And, uh, I mean, I guess, I guess if I mean, Philadelphia has become such a unremarkable team recently. That's what I noticed. You know, you just don't... Who the fuck talks about Philadelphia? Aside from the passing reference to Carter Hart might be good this year. He might be dog shit. Um, is there anybody else on that team worth talking about? Rasmus was still lining. Really. That's, what so, I'm, that's what's notable about oh, the Flyers we... to me. Is the addition the additions to the defense? Ryan Ellis, Rasmus Ristolainen, and Keith Yandel is such a strange and eclectic mix of defensemen. I can't wait to see how it works out. There we go. 
So that's that's why you'd be talking about the Philadelphia Flyers, either Carter Hart or one of their beautiful, ter- beautifully terrible defensemen, um, and how that might mash up together. Uh, so yeah, good good for them. You know, Patrick Brown. Um, I have, although yeah, back to the topic at hand, I have nothing to add on Patrick Brown. Do you? No, but man, their defense is so expensive. They're spending so much. They're spending twenty six point five two five million dollars on defense, six point seven five for Provorov, six point two five for Ellis, five point four for Ristolainen, and four point six seven five for Travis Sanheim. That's their top four. That's a lot. Wow, that's crazy. That is a lot. <laughs> that's a lot of money for not a lot. Like yeah, that is the opposite. That is a lot of buck for no bang. Um, yeah. Wow. That is uh. That's that's quite the that's quite the managerial decisions right there. Yeah, that's pretty mind-boggling. That's this team's not this team is not set up for success. Um, this this is very mediocre, and uh, yeah, not that, quite. That's what first line will do to you. All right, all right. So I am uh, uh, okay, okay. excited for this season to get going. Uh, but today we now segue over to our draft, and this week we will be drafting musical instruments. Now I have done no preparation for this one, uh, much like many of the other drafts we've done. Uh, so I'm hoping I'm not too embarrassed by you, who's made a list of 12 instruments. Um, I came up with this idea, and I think... Yeah, we actually... Here's something interesting. We tied the last one the in the poll of the color draft. It was a perfect tie. So I think we should just go with... Uh, I get to pick first again, because I picked first last time, and it was a tie. And also, I'm trailing in the series by a lot. And also, I came up with the idea. All right, fair enough. You made your case. I, I shall accept it. So uh, you may go ahead. All right. Uh, first pick, it's going to be, you know, super duper easy. I'm picking the piano. All right. Easy. First of all, all right. first of all, this is the first instrument I started learning. It's still my primary instrument that I'm studying in school right now. So, of course, I have that obvious personal attachment to it. Uh, but what I think many people may not realize is that the structure of a piano, the way it's laid out, uh, is really the foundation for all music, and I guess more specifically, learning music. Music because it's very easy to visualize music on a keyboard with the the way it's laid out. It's extremely versatile. Uh, you can play up to ten notes at once reasonably, which is something that can be said for few other instruments. So it can really, you know, it's extremely versatile. It's extremely necessary and vital, and uh, of course. It sounds beautiful as well. So piano slam dunk first overall pick. All right. Um, before we proceed, do we want to set some ground rules? That, for example, how many, uh, how many instruments are we picking each? I think we said six. Okay, does that make sense? Yeah, we'll pick six each. Oh yes, but you're right. We do need to set out ground rules right. in terms of what qualifies as an instrument. For example, uh, is guitar one thing? Is acoustic guitar and electric guitar separate things? Is a bass guitar a separate thing from a guitar? What are we thinking? Okay, I think guitar as a whole, it's one category, although the bass can uh, be its own one. It can be separate, is how I see it in in that particular category. How about now Um, that I've taken piano, are you allowed to take take electric piano or or keyboard or or no? Do I have to claim to all... You you can have the claim to all of those. Um, okay, I think brilliant. that's fair. Okay, and also lastly, okay. drums. Yes. Is drum right. set one instrument? Is snare drum one instrument? Is bass drum one instrument? 
I think drum set is one uh, one instrument. You have xylophone, or and that broader category that qualifies or mallet instruments as another category. You can have auxiliary percussion if anybody wants that with with the triangle and other assorted okay. fun things. I, I think, think that, we're pretty much on the same page because that's right. probably what I'd be thinking as well. So okay, Sound, okay. sounded good. Go All ahead right. with your first pick. Perfect. All right, well, with my uh, next pick, I'm picking uh, arguably uh, the better one out of the first round picks. I'm taking the guitar. Pretty pretty ubiquitous in our in our society. Um, who doesn't love who doesn't love a cool guy who plays the guitar? I'm certainly not one of them, and I wish I was. What if I learned how to play the guitar? I'd be sure cooler than I am right now, is what I would say. Uh, and uh, it's very portable, which you wouldn't say about a a piano or or even really a keyboard. Even it's not very portable. It's fucking carrying around a keyboard, except for a selected few compared to the guitar. Everybody's fucking carrying a guitar. I have a you know you have a guitar case. Easy. You can just whip it out. You can't just whip out a piano. No, you got to get a whole crew to like wheel it in. Um, a guitar, you can just whip it off out your back and be like, look at me. I can strum a song right now. Um, so that's a that's a home run. I think I think everybody loves a guitar more than they do the piano. Is what I would argue. I think that's uh, decidedly not true. Although the pick is okay in and of itself. Uh, I am going to go with the drum set. Who doesn't love a okay. good drum set? You know all this popular music that we all love so much. You know, pop music, rock music, even country music for some of you strange weirdos. You got to have that drum set in there, you know, driving the song forward. Uh, And although for some reason, portability, which is apparently an important thing now, may not be optimal for a drum set. I don't really think that matters at all. Uh, We both played the drum set a fair amount in high school. And you'll you'll even recall when we were both percussionists and we would get a part uh, where there's a drum set part. uh, Almost all the time, we would both say... I would like to play the drum set and we would split them up equitably because that was everyone's uh, favorite thing to play. All right. Well, the, well, I do concede that the drum set has some cool factor. Uh, it pales comparison to the cool factor of my next pick, which is the epitome of cool. Uh, it is the saxophone. Um, it's just, it rules. It's awesome. Who doesn't love a guy who, you know, plays the saxophone um, or a girl for that matter. And, uh, you know, it's just, uh, it's a good vibes. It's great vibes. You put on some sunglasses and you're like swinging to some jazz. Saxophone rules. It sounds cool. You can swing it easily. Everybody, you know, like, you know, you're just looking around. Oh, like someone's playing the saxophone. Hey, plus, good for you. You sound, you sound and look cool with it. The saxophone is just, you just can't miss. Have you seen a loser play the saxophone? No, you haven't. Only cool people play the saxophone. So, uh, you know, there we go. Big dubs. Big dubs. It's cooler than yours. You know, when you said say. you were going to go with an instrument with off the charts cool factor, I'm. Uh, that's not exactly what you said, but that's what you could have said. I was sure you were going to go with what I'm going to pick next, which is the trumpet. Okay. All right. Some of the coolest musicians throughout history, objectively, including the likes of Louis Armstrong, Miles Davis, Mr. Guy Cox, all played the trumpet. All right. And <laughs> guess what? They looked amazing doing it. And they had the time of their life. And, man, there's something about the trumpet. I've never played it before. But people who do play it and play it at a very high level, it appears that they have an extremely intimate connection to the instrument. And that's something that's that's so super cool to me. And also there's the fact that the way it just kind of, you know, yells at you. It's it's uh, It sounds cool <laughs> than a saxophone, decidedly. A trumpet solo versus a saxophone solo, I'm constantly going to take the, the trumpet solo. It just... Just a, a little more in your face. I respect that. 
terrible take. Terrible take. Awful take. Um, yeah, you really just sold yelling at you as as the selling point for it. Okay, uh, maybe that wasn't the right choice of Musical instrument. Words. How about, okay, how about sure, it's very... How about it's very prominently making its presence known? How about that? Okay, all right. That's that's a very nice euphemism for yelling at you. Um, is is what I would say. All right. Next up, sixth overall pick. Now, um, hmm, I'm already kind of like running out of instrument. I feel like I feel like I'm perpetually forgetting a good instrument. Um, so after right. I make this, pick, I'm going right to go <laughs> look it up. Top ten popular in musical instruments, but I won't. I won't keep the audience listening for that. I'm just gonna make my pick now. Um, I'm gonna take I'm gonna take an underrated one. I think it's underrated in pop culture. I think it's underrated in this draft. It's a stud instrument. All right. I will be taking the violin. All right. That shit's lit. Oof. All right. And also por- portab- portability portability at max value right here. Um, uh, but not that. That's not the main selling point. The violin actually sounds sick. You put a bunch of them together. You put them in a solo. Uh, it just it rocks, you know. You got the string vibes, but it's also like some of the best string vibes. Like it, that shit sings, that shit sings better than any other string instrument. So, um, and arguably any other instrument, not just string instrument. Violin's sick. All right, it's a top six pick on its own, easy. And uh, yeah, it always you know you got a string quartet. Who's the who's the star? Who's the star? It's the violin. There we go. Even in the uh, symphony orchestra, it's a freaking violin. Big win. Honestly, shocking to me. That when faced with the choice between the violin and the cello, you would neglect to take the decidedly cooler cello. All right, the cello is so cool. When I was in summer camp, uh, in uh, this kind of doing this music situation when I was a kid, um, there was this girl who played the cello, and the th- the thing I was in it was called School of Rock, and it was like this music teacher who was like, "Let's all you know learn to play songs together." Uh, over the span of two weeks, and this girl was like, "I can play the cello," and she brought in her cello, and we play. Oh, what song was it? Oh, I can't remember, but it was so cool because it wasn't a song that you typically think a cello was in. And yet she had her cello and she played and it was like, this sounds so cool. And, you know, the violin, it's all right. You know, it can kind of be, you know, screechy if you play it badly, though, which I learned firsthand. Uh, whereas the cello, first of all, this is this isn't such a big deal, but it's easy to sound OK when you're first starting out. But the second main thing is that it's similarly to the trumpet takes command over over the the sound of a piece uh and that is due entirely to its its deeper sound its more whole sound all right it really rounds out the piece of music whereas you know a violin is just kind of like oh you play the violin that that's kind of that's kind of that's kind of boring that's kind of cringe <laughs> hey look did you is that was that your pick by the way i'm confused you you spent all yes. that time ever came for the cello okay that's yes, your cello. I picked okay, the cello okay, the cello's your pick Okay, all right. I just had to make that clear. All right. Um, yeah, that's you're overdrafting the cello there. I'm sorry, but that's you can you can get better value than that. I think. You're overdrafting um, the and cello. better value. Be- better value comes. Well, that's the thing. I did. That's why I didn't draft it at all. Um, so um, <laughs> are you implying that it shouldn't be drafted in the first place? That's what you're implying with that statement. Um, all right. No, uh, next up, fourth round pick. Oh, okay, of course. Um, all right, fourth round pick. My turn. I'm going. Guitar adjacent with the next one. Another fundamental piece of your of your, you know, standard rock song, pop song, cool song. Pretty cool when you're playing the bass. No? Um yeah, you make the foundation. Perpetually underrated player of the bass. Uh it makes the sound it makes the song groove. It makes it bop. And that makes it move. 
So yeah, I, I like the base. And I think getting it this deep in the draft, I think it made a mistake. I wouldn't have taken the cello. You should have just taken the base and then the cello. But uh, here we are. Alright. My next pick, the only reason I waited this long on it is because uh, I was almost certain you weren't going to take it. But right. it is an A-tier instrument. You want to okay. talk about portability? This one's got right. the portability down even better than any other one you've picked. Even the violin or the guitar or the saxophone or the bass. You want to talk about a uh, range of uh, emotional emotional range of an instrument this one's got a down pat all right you can play you know the happiest song you can uh play the blues on there you want to talk about anything there's a there's a situation for it and perhaps most notably about this instrument is that it is probably the easiest instrument to learn the harmonica ticks every single box and and not to mention another thing about the harmonica is that yes, they do only come in one specific key, but with this draft pick, I'm picking every harmonica, which means I can play a song in any <laughs> key with all the harmonicas I just drafted. Aha, but you just talked about portability. Ain't nobody carrying, like, what, how many keys are there? One, two, three. I don't it know, is easier know, 12, to carry 13. 12 harmonicas than one guitar. But who's out? I, I don't know about that one. Like, you know, you got a, you got a, like, a rucksack of harmonicas ready to go uh wait one sec i gotta get my c-sharp minor fucking harmonica just let me rummage through my well, bag it's, it's for a the second e, it's the e major um, harmonica you know you don't have a separate one for the major key and the minor key okay well well even then like uh, i gotta short through my oh no where's my g-sharp major one ah shit i seem to have lost it somewhere must have left it on the metro what a shame now i gotta go find myself a g-sharp major harmonica they what do they even sell those they don't sell them okay, anywhere just to let you know well, I, would say. I could make the so, exact same argument about you losing your saxophone on the bus all right oh no i lost my saxophone <laughs> on the bus now i don't have a saxophone and i don't have 11 others that could fill in if we just change the key of the song we want to play well, that's the thing i don't I, see that's the thing i only have to worry about my one saxophone meanwhile you're out here like arms full of harmonicas like ah shit i dropped one through the crack that's terrible. That's terrible. Yeah. Well, and so well here's the thing. Is, if I this, lose one harmonica, is, it's okay. It's not a big deal because I have 11 others. If you lose your saxophone, that's okay, it for you. Right. You need to buy a new one. You need to put yeah, down like I, a thousand bucks on a new saxophone. <laughs> but I don't see me losing my saxophone. I can see me losing one of my 32 harmonicas uh, out of the blue. You know, I misplace it. That's It's hard to misplace a saxophone. It is not hard to misplace, you know, like a wallet-sized instrument. So this is the worst. This This whole... I can bring 13 harmonicas to wherever I go is the worst like <laughs> ass covering for for a flaw that I've ever heard in one of these drafts. I love um, I love so much the, the fact you're double standard that you're like, yeah, the piano's not too portable, so I have a portable instrument. And then all of a sudden I draft the most portable instrument and you're like, that's a little bit too portable for me. No, that it is inherently unportable in that you have so many. You need so many to cover all your bases. Meanwhile, or, I have a guitar. Or you're going to plan ahead of time what songs you're going to play. And you're probably only going to be carrying a couple harmonicas at most. It's very unlikely you're going to be taking 12 with you wherever you go. Well, I don't know. If I'm a musician, I got like, oh, I got a set to play. And I'm a professional harmonica player. And I got like, say, seven pieces. What if I put them all in those different key? Now I got seven harmonicas to worry about. Um, if I'm on stage, I'm like, ah, shit, which harmonica was it for this next song? And then I play the wrong one, and then I realize I'm out of key with everybody, and then I gotta go back to my bag, rummage through, and hopefully I find the one out of six that's the right one. 
Or like, if you know, in this terrible. hypothetical situation you are a professional harmonica player, <laughs> a you probably would have a pretty uh, defined system for organizing your harmonicas, and it would probably just be putting a little sticker on it saying what key it is. So I'm not sure what you're too All worried right, about. Well, okay. If see if if the if the the, the the sorting of your instrument, if finding the correct instrument requires a sticker system to remember which instrument you need. When I have my fucking guitar and I'm like, all right, this is the guitar or the saxophone. All right, let me take out my saxophone. I can play in whatever the fuck key I want. Um, I, I would argue that you know, and, and you can't even play all the fucking notes. What if what if you have a what if you have a note that's like out of the, the you know you have like fun little modulation. Ah shit, I gotta get my second and third harmonica for the piece. That's terrible. That's fucking bad. And guess what? All right. And guess what? You know, we spent too much time talking about the harmonica. Uh, I think you're just trying to, you're just trying to come up with, with imaginary situations where there are like four key changes in a song that requires harmonica as the key is changing. I'm not even sure that even exists. So write that piece and then get back to me. All right. I will. I will. And this will further invalidate this draft. Um, and and I'll, I'll transfer the win to me if you happen to win. All right. Um, because I, I, I would have made the correct point there. Okay. That's enough about the harmonica and its incompetence and lack of portability. And inconvenience that it causes in a concert. This just in Tessay um, can't carry a harmonica. He admits it. I can't. Well, I can carry one harmonica. I can't carry thirteen with me. Is what I would say. All right. Um. Oh, what's that? You want to play? You want to play good for you on the harmonica with me in a duet? Ah, shit. Sorry, I left my the the, the right key harmonica at home. God damn. So let's just play it in a different key. Problem solved. No, but that's the thing. It's a harmonica duet. The guy brought the right key. I brought the wrong key. Now neither of us can play it. Everybody's sad. All right. Um, no other it just doesn't work. Harmonica do it. Yeah, why not? Why is he? You you can't that's how bad your instrument is. You can't even fa- can't even fathom a harm a duet of your own instrument. That's terrible. That's terrible. Alright. Okay. Next up. I got too heated there. I got too heated there. I gotta take a step back. Alright. Um hmm. What now? What now? Alright. I think. Okay. With the next pick. I will be taking mallet instruments, so xylophone and other assorted peoples, um, because you know it rocks. It, it, it they all sound fantastic. You can have like the glockenspiel sounds nice and tinkly. You can have like the booming like tinkly. What's it called? Marimba. My instrument sounds you know, like piss. <laughs> wow! Wow! That is. That is harsh coming from someone who played the instrument for like five years. Um, but, no, uh, you know, I'm like, just saying so- you said tinkly. So there. <laughs> oh, okay. You're criticizing my word choice. Well, thank you very much. It, yes. it sounds. <laughs> I see. I see. I see. Um, well, that just threw me off my game. Very well done. Um, but, uh, you know, it should sounds good. All right. You see, you know, you're in music class. You got a whole assortment of instruments that you can play. Right. Ain't nobody saying, hey, can I borrow your fucking, I don't know, clarinet? Can I borrow your cello? Because we all know that if we tried somebody else's cello and we haven't played the cello before, we would suck. It is inaccessible to the most of us. Uh, meanwhile, anybody can bang a few tunes on the on the marimba. Well, you got to put a little couple sticks and you just, you know, you make a nice sound. All right. And you can't even screw up that badly like the piano because you can't play more than like two notes at the same time unless you're like double sticking or some shit. And that's a good thing. That's a good thing. It really, really gives you a lot of room for error. And it sounds great. And it's, it's fun. It's a lot of fun. Who doesn't have fun when they're playing a xylophone? It's like some elementary school shit, too. It's like your basic elementary school and everybody's having fun. It's a good time. All right. That's my pick. Xylophone.
with my final pick, I'm going to select the oldest instrument that there is that everyone can play. You're going to say the voice? That joins everyone together. I'm going to draft the human voice. It is... It's All a pick right. that speaks for itself. Okay. And wow. Man, when, you, when you hear deep, a good singer, profound. when you hear a good singer who you know really nails a piece or a song, there, there's really nothing like it. Uh, it's it's arguably the most authentic musical sound that exists. Is the one that comes straight out of the human mouth. There's my selection. Wow. Just he just he just turned to profound, and he also. You know, he chose. It, it is technically an instrument. I just clinched the draft, the by the way. Is, you wouldn't, wouldn't. You did not clinch the draft. I don't know what you're talking about because you haven't even heard my last pick, which is off the charts. It's off the charts. You wouldn't think of it, but it actually rocks. Um. Uh. Yeah. The human voice. I don't know about that one, Chief. Why go human voice when you can, you know, use your mouth to make noise coming from a human recorder? Is what I would say, which is my last oh, pick. God. It is peak fun. Oh. It is peak fun. All right, <laughs> there is not a single fucking person. See, immediately as soon as I said recorder, you just started laughing because you know the association. Yeah, you say, you, you to, know, to the as soon as I said steeplechase, you started laughing. This is your steeplechase. <laughs> this is not this my is steeplechase, steeplechase. All right, you had yes, never fucking heard of this. Nobody had fucking heard of the steeplechase up until that point. All right, everybody's heard of the recorder. All right, the recorder. It, it's just. You know, it's it's not. It may not be the most popular in terms of sound, but everybody, you know, has a good time when a they think about the good times that they had in music class with the recorder. Oh, look, here's a little recorder. Make some noise with it. Be a little shit, and it's good. All right, it's a good time when you're a little shit with the recorder. You know, you're blasting it in the house. You take off the. You only take the mouthpiece. You start blowing on it, and everybody hates you for it. But it's a good time. Um, or b the second scenario in which you think of a recorder when you're like you know a teenager slash adult. Um, is you find your recorder, all right? And that's also a good time because, fuck, man. You're like, you know, you play some tunes, you're like, ah, shit, I can still play Mary Had a Little Lamb on this shit. I'm, I'm a fucking stud. Um, and all it does is stroke your ego and and you have a good time. It's the nostalgia vibes. It's immaculate. The recorder vibes are immaculate. Best vibes in this entire draft. Uh, and you talk about clinching the draft. I just clinched it. I just It's over. No. It's over. You can okay. already tally it in I'm my I'm being paper. 100. You have nothing. You have nothing bad to say about the recorder. Sometimes we we exaggerate our trash talk a bit. I'm being 100 percent sincere and saying the reason the recorder is so popular is because of okay. how terrible it sounds. Everyone Ex- and it's demonstra- it's demonstrably false. What you said is that you think of good times playing the recorder. Uh, at least like 75 percent of the people who are brought up oh playing a recorder in elementary school they have bad associations with it. Uh, and most of that is because you had a room with 25, seven year olds uh, with, you know, little to no sort of, you know, musical intelligence, all kind of just blowing as loud as they can into these little wind tubes. It's not a good time. And the recorder is unironically the worst instrument that there is. This is the worst draft pick that we've had so far. This is the type of thing Bad I would have pulled like a couple weeks ago. Bad fucking uh, it's uh, it's a joke and it's an embarrassment. And I'm just glad for once that you're the one making the terrible last overall pick and not me. It's, it's an embarrassment to the establishment that is this draft. Um, is what one might say if you were wrong. Because, um, yeah, this pick is very defensible. I don't know what I'm talking about. It's, not, it's certainly not the It's not worse than Passion Fruit or, or Steeplechase. And not that it's even in, on that level. The level. This is among the very best. Sure, best overall picks. Here's the thing. Some people. Please. 
love the steeplechase. I don't know who they are, but they incorrect. must love it. If incorrect. They, if, but wait, let me finish. They must love it if they do it in the Olympics and people do it in the Olympics. Uh, also, some people must love passion fruit uh, because if, if it continues to get produced and eaten, no one likes the recorder. Give There are maybe like three people in the world who are like professional recorder players. And besides that, the constant, you know, would you rather have the association with the thing be, oh, no one's ever heard of it, i.e. steeplechaser passion fruit, or everyone actively hates it like the recorder? I know my answer. But, you know, everybody everybody says they hate it on the outside. Everybody on the inside, though, you look at a recorder, you actually see one in person, you nobody's around, you're like, that's, that's, I'm going to go, I'm going to go play that shit right now. And why is that? Because I think you're projecting. Good vibes. I've never All done right. that, and no one else ever has. I think you're the only one who's like, let me go play that recorder. I don't think so. And I think the voters will will reflect that um, because, you know, it's it made, that's the thing. I never said it sounded good. I never said it sounded like the Love best. Love to draft a musical instrument argument? that sounds bad, which is the whole point of music in this musical instrument draft. Well, if you think about it, you know, you also, you drafted musical, like, human voice. My voice fucking sucks. So... And I'm sure a bunch of other that people could do. be said you know about I mean? a violin as well. Almost every most yeah, people well, okay. on planet Earth, if they tried to play a violin, it would sound pretty bad. All right, back to the topic at hand, which is that the recorder is lots of fun. All right, notice how he, how he pivots away from my flawless pivot. violin argument. Notice how he just ignores it and pivots no, back to the recorder. Notice. Well, there was there was no point to be made anymore. Um, so people will notice nothing there, uh, and you know. Yeah, there's, there's the record. It speaks for itself. The recorder speaks for itself. All right, uh, and that is ubiquitous. And you talk about well, you know what, why you know do they it, keep producing passion fruits? You know why do says? they keep putting recorders in the hands of elementary school students? Is what I would say. Go ahead. Uh, and the answer for that is because our school system is corrupt. Anyway, uh, looking at both of our teams, I have never been more confident in any one of these drafts uh, that my team is decidedly better than yours. And I think that final round is really what cements it, where I took the excellent, brilliant human voice and the contrasting with the worst pick of all time, recorder. So just to reiterate for everyone, my team, we got piano, drum set, trumpet, cello, harmonica, and human voice. And Taisei's team, we have guitar, saxophone, violin, bass, uh, mallet instruments, i.e. xylophone, and recorder. Uh, I will get that poll up later this week. I'll be voting for for my own team. Not only because it's my own team, but because it is by far better than yours. Thank you very much for listening to this week's episode of Fusion and Hockey Podcast. Ty, say any more thoughts? Um, any more thoughts? Not really. I mean, this is the second draft I've won, and on just this is just this weekend we had our fantasy draft. This week went pretty well for for nobody. I think was what we agreed upon. But you know, yeah, no one has fine. such a good team. Um, for, yeah. Yeah, I don't know. I think it just isn't a good year for anybody. Um, or maybe we all just got smarter. Who knows? But uh, that that happened. Uh, but yeah, I have no other thoughts. Thank you for listening. Shout out. All right. You can follow our podcast on Instagram at Fusion and Hockey Podcast. You can follow us on Twitter as well. We'll be back next week. And we will talk about the regular season NHL games that will have begun. <laughs> <laughs>